This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. Huzzah! Or as Kaz would say, let's blast some buckets! Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is usually a show where we explore film series one movie at a time. Uh, however, this week we are back in Star Wars Resistance Season 2, covering the second half of that season. Uh, I'm your host, James Hamrick, and I am joined, as always, with my co-host, Gabe Green. What's going on, man? Hello, uh, doing pretty well. Um, Star Wars has been fun, but I am uh, I'm happy to be, be through it right now. Just <laughs> a lot of TV all on top of each other. I just want to talk about some movies again. I there There's something... It, just the pressure of having like an entire season hanging over your head you know I, I really I really enjoy going through them but I like you I'm ready to get back to films it's like every time I want to sit down and watch a movie or watch a different TV show it's like this nagging little angel on my shoulder you could be you doing should, this you should be doing your homework and I usually ignore it and then I have to scramble in the last couple of days every time anyway so we've got a good system <laughs> All right, so yeah, as you said, uh, we're going to be talking about the second half of this, for the final 10 episodes of season two of Star Wars Resistance. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please uh, head over to iTunes and take a moment to give us a five-star rating review. Uh, very helpful and very much appreciated. And uh, we're just going to move directly into uh, these final 10 episodes. And the first one is yours. Take it away. So we, we're picking up with episode 10. This is Kaz's Curse. This one was directed by Brad Rao and written by Eugene Sun. Uh, in this, while playing a betting game with the Warbird Pirates, Kaz is cursed by the Nikto Pirate Leos, uh, who is jealous of Kaz's success. A series of accidents aboard the Colossus afflict Kaz, leading Niku to believe that he is indeed cursed, which Kaz refuses to believe. Kaz's problems are complicated by the Colossus traveling through an asteroid field in Guavian Death Gang space. After failing to, to stop a Guavian ship from reporting their presence, Kaz visits the archaeologist and spiritualist Mika Gray, who gives him a good luck charm. A Guavian fleet attacks the Colossus and demands that they pay a million credit toll uh, a million credit toll fee or surrender the Colossus with the intention of turning them all over to the First Order. Rejecting their demands, Captain Doza sends the Aces into action. Despite leaving his lucky charm behind, Kaz manages to shoot down several Guavian ships and convinces the other Aces to lead the Guavians through the asteroid field. After escaping, Kaz realizes that he wasn't cursed uh, and settles scores with the superstitious Leos. Yeah, this sucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, like <laughs> we we ended the la last week's episode on a pretty bad one. This one starts on a pretty bad one. However, it gets really good from here. But we gotta work. With, gotta go through this one. Um, interesting of note uh, is that uh, Steve Blum, the voice of uh, Gary Zabarellius from Rebels, uh, plays Leah's the Nikto pirate who uh, quote unquote curses Kaz. So yeah, it's this one is very very kitty. Oh, he's cursed and now he's clumsy again and everything's going wrong. And but no, you just have to have the power of belief and it'll all be okay. And I just about fell asleep saying that. Yeah, this is yeah. my least favorite episode. <laughs> There's really not a lot to enjoy about any of it, in my opinion. I like all the Guavian stuff. Anything involving Guavians is good. The rest, yeah. Yeah, I. Well, to me, the premise itself is faulty because it's like, what do you mean Kaz is cursed? He, you know, like all all the time he's, you know, tripping around and everything. Like, this is not due to a curse. This is just Kaz as we've always known him. <laughs> you know, like this. 
it's another Tuesday. I don't know why anybody's flipping out, you know, saying he's cursed or anything. But uh, so yeah, and the the way that the curse shows itself is just really frustrating to me. Like the whole scene of him in the cockpit and the chair moving around, and I don't know. I really I wanted because I knew that you said this one was really bad, and I got a few minutes into it. And I doubted that we were going to talk about it very much, and I was so tempted to just skip it. But I was like, "No, I guess I'll I'll finish this for for the podcast." <laughs> okay, it's, it's I don't know if it's that bad. <laughs> it's not good, um, but I do I do enjoy all the I think just the Guavian stuff is all just really interesting, cool Star Wars lore where they have this is Guavian Death Gang territory, and if you want to pass through, you got to pay their toll, or they're going to try and blow you up and. The, 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 the fight through the the, ast- the the visuals of the asteroid field it's all the thousands of independently spinning asteroids and you know dog fighting and and dog fighting in and around there that's all really cool so like I like the stuff that happens in space but yeah like anything involving the curse is just so silly it's it's Dumbo and the uh like the magic feather kind of thing where you didn't actually need the talisman you just need to believe in yourself and yawn yeah and <laughs> Like, like I said, the premise itself is ridiculous considering the character and then yet the way everything's tied up is just, you just gotta believe. All of that is annoying in and of itself. And I do agree, like, I, I've always loved the, the Death Gang design since we saw him in Force Awakens. But, I don't, it's, it, to me it was beyond just the, the premise itself. It was, like, the, the, like I said already, just the way that, the the supposed curse was showing itself it's it's the thing where like i i'm just finding no real immediate enjoyment in any of this it's just really like it's contrived conflict that has nothing to do with character it has nothing to do with story progression it's like this episode just shouldn't be here to me and and you know filler episodes are are fine if if there is something cool but if there is something enjoyable about it but like not only was this filler but again it was just my least favorite aspect of Kaz is how clumsy and kind of ridiculous he is. And so now we have an episode whose entire premise is accentuating that. And so, yeah, I don't know. Tell us what you really think, James. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's like whatever. And they don't even play fair with the curse. Like they, they, they kind of end with, oh, it was all in my head. Sure, Kaz, if that's what you think. And so it's like, is there actually a curse? Like his cannons do actually malfunction. Like things actually, like mechanical things go wrong. But no, all he has to do is believe. And I just, what, what, what is this? And like, I know it's an unfair test to imagine. Like, what would this look like if this were a, a side plot in a film, or even not even just in a film, but if we had if we had seen this in live action? Because you know, this is an animated show. It's an animated kids show. So that's not what they're going for. But I just, I, it's. It's annoying to have to acknowledge that this is like cannot like all of these events, all of these ridiculousness, getting stuck in the the pilots, everything going on like that is actually canonically what's happening to a character between these two movies, and I just have to deal with the fact that this ridiculous stuff exists in the universe. And... <laughs> okay, all right, so let's move on to the next episode, which is amazing. Next episode, next episode is uh, Station to Station. It's directed by Bosco NG and written by Mark Henry. So Tam and Jace Rucklin are sent on a supply run to a First Order refueling station. At the station, 
Uh, we run into Kaz and Niku disguised as First Order technicians as they try to steal a part that will save everyone on the Colossus. Eventually, their, their paths cross a second time, and both Tam and Rucklin see through the intruders' disguises and investigate independently. Rucklin confronts them, and despite Kaz's pleadings to help save his old friends and neighbors, Rucklin turns them in and locks them in the engine room. But Tam, uh, who overheard them from the security office, opens the door for Kaz and Niku, allowing them to escape. As they return to their Star Destroyer, Tam is having doubts about her choice to join the First Order. Uh, this was just a lot of fun. I, I like the way it plays with perspective, where we, we open entirely on the First Order, on you know, on uh, Tam and J and Rucklin's perspective, and then we we just kind of stumble onto this other ongoing plot of Kaz and Niku, who are you know are, have already infiltrated the the, uh, the refueling station, are stealing a part. Like I I just love the way it, it, the way it opens, the way that that first act plays out. I I love stuff like that. This was very this was a very Rebels uh, uh, episode to me. Um, it really because I I feel like there's like a a handful of episodes throughout that series of just like uh boarding star destroyers and stuff and trying to sneak around uh and there's one that get, kind of does the same reveal where we we see it from one perspective and then it's revealed that this person we're running around is is our actual protagonist so I, I really like that I like that we don't have to spend time you know talking about well this is the mission this is why we need you to sneak aboard it's also just kind of like I like that kind of storytelling yeah you just have Niku like speed read through all the exposition in like 35 seconds and we're good yeah yeah and uh, you we talked about this how beautiful and shiny the star destroyers were i think it was on uh rendezvous rendezvous point and uh, uh, just the the way the lighting works on imperial and first order ships uh, the credit for that goes all the way all the way back to a new hope with a uh, cinematographer gilbert taylor um who when he came to the sets decided to just cut a bunch of holes in the walls and place lights in the walls so that he could light so that he could properly light this you know the sets without you know ha having to worry about actual onset lighting and so like that that one very practical choice way back in a new hope just gave us this gorgeous aesthetic of imperial and, and now first order ship designs that is still just absolutely wonderful to look at yeah yeah this is also one where uh I, I really like the action in the episode. Uh, for me, Resistance, I, in terms of like the the action alone, I mainly enjoy it whenever it's you know it's it's the racing or, or flying sequences. I feel like a lot of the physical action is just people running and then tripping over things and then running and then tripping over things. But here and that is here. But it's actually like I, I really like the way it's visualized. I love them running through all of the different barrels and stuff. The the visuals of the massive stacks of crates and barrels like falling over as they're running oh, over the tops. Why is that so cool? I don't, I don't know, know, but there's something so satisfying about seeing like just the, like the kind of wave, the ripple effect as they're you know they're running across the tops of all of these things, and that whole last chase sequence is really strong to me. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I just uh, I love that Kaz and Niku are wearing the First Order uh, technician uh, costume from the Star Killer base undercover yeah. boss NSL as uh, an SNL skit, and just that's that. that's <laughs> canon so now. It's so good. Um, and uh, then just uh, Kaz running into Hux is fun. Uh, Hux, uh, unfortunately, he's not uh, voiced by uh, Donald Gleason. It's an actor named uh, Ben Prendergast, which is an awesome name. Um, but he has a pretty decent uh, impression. 
<laughs> just be, being stuck in the elevator and the elevator op- other other side opens and P- Pyre's there and Cass is just like standing in between them trying to hide his face as they talk over him. Yeah, it's it's, it's just a, it's a, it's just a lot of various hijinks and running around and just trying to you know, get away and stay hidden. And like I like that it, that's never it's never really annoying in it, you know, because a lot of the time if it's just you can't be seen by this person and this person's moving around. If there's just a lot of moving pieces and it's all about just concealing identity and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Kaz is the probably the best he's ever been here. Um, this is the most competent. Like the, <laughs> the scene where they're investigating, like the, the stormtroopers spot them, they start, they start like start confronting them, and then he scares them <laughs> away with tool talk, just like the, <laughs> just gushing over the different tools, like ugh, technicians. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you know, you'd think the episode would just provide so many opportunities to just have him be ridiculous and over the top, but he carries through everything pretty well, you know. And uh, and I, I think, you know, talking about uh, Tam, she continues to be like maybe the most interesting character of the season, and mm-hmm. I like that. We're st- we're starting to really make headway, especially after the episode where she sees uh, Tora's mother. We're really starting to to see the cracks in her her confidence in what she's doing. And I don't know. There's there's just a lot of things going on in this episode, and I thought it was all done pretty well. Yeah, another great moment of cast competence is when uh the the stormtroopers they ask her ID, and he's like, okay, okay. And then he just pull, quick draws a blaster and stuns them both. Like, where has this guy been all season? I love him. <laughs> dogs i love them. they're at a board meeting and it's all dull droll business and then like hux jumps up like and we'll crush them like the vermin they are <laughs> and i imagine like every single board meeting hux will just like, jump up and start and just lay into this impassioned speech and i imagine like all the other officers just like sitting back and groaning like oh here he goes again not another speech yeah and uh ruckland he's the worst um, you know, oh. that's what you get for choosing the wrong side. He's so smug. <laughs> it's just a really fun, clever episode. Just, the action is great where they're, they're in the hangar trying to escape. It's all all the back and forth. Um, yeah, very fun. Uh, the next one is episode 12. This is The Missing Agent. This one was directed by Stuart Lee and written by Brandon Allman. Uh, in this, the resistance operative Norath Kev is captured by the Iktachi bounty hunter Axe Tagrin, but not before sending a distress signal. Kaz, Yigur, CB, and Sonara travel to the Varkana system to rescue him. They are betrayed by the collaborationist uh, Grand Vendor Leechy, who alerts Axe. After questioning Leechy, Kaz and his team learn that Axe is holding Norath in his starship. Kaz, Yeager, and CB find Norath only to be trapped aboard Axe's starship. Norath reveals that he has been monitoring First Order black market activities and has been compiling a list of local collaborators. Kaz and company manage to sabotage Axe's engines, causing the ship to crash. Yeager and Sonara fight with Axe, allowing Kaz and Norath to escape. First Order forces under Commander Pyre enter the Varkana system, complicating the Colossus, uh, the Colossus Resistance's predicament. This one's good. This one's really good. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't know what changed. Maybe like they had more money available because they were on land and not like doing space scenes, but just the quality of animation and the camera work in this episode is mm-hmm. just oh these two episodes is just insane. I don't know like what changed because you know it's the same same directors, you know, the same stable of directors, but man, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I I remember noting 
you know, because we have that cold open of Norath uh, with the, dir- the the distress signal and axe and everything. And as soon as as that cuts and, you know, we, we see the Resistance logo, I just remember thinking, like, I, I just felt more intensity and and threat in this show than I have of all of the other episodes. Like, immediately, this guy is yeah. dangerous. There is there is a genuine threat to deal with. And I, I thought, you know, how long are they going to be able to pull this off? And they just carried that looming sense of danger throughout both episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is... This is the best the show's ever been. Yeah, uh, they got some crazy voice actors like uh, David Diggs, who is uh, who does uh, Tom, uh, Thomas Jefferson and Lafayette in Hamilton, as well as I mean, he's all over the place. But uh, he voices the uh, the Duro spy Norath Kev, uh, who's a great character. Although his voice is like super distinctive, and I kept expecting him to break out into song <laughs> uh, throughout. Um, then I, I, I is it uh, Joe Maginello? Was that a pronounce his name? I've never Maginello. Yeah. Machinello. Uh he voices the bounty hunter axe uh, Tagrin, and then uh, Fred Armisen voices the uh, the first order informant uh, Leechy. I love Fred Armisen. Yeah, like about the threat, like right in the opening when uh, Axe Tagrin bursts through the door and just like blows away uh, Norath's BB droid. You're like, okay, this guy's this guy's serious. And like, what struck me so uh, so quickly was just we've seen you know like the menacing, scary you know, bad guys before in the show, but they they even have kind of some feeling of, of cartoonishness to them and you know, like like Kragen, he he looks kind he looks serious, but it's still very much dressed in that kind of kid friendly, smooth design. But when when Axe you know, bursts through this door, he looks totally different than anything else we've seen in the show. And it's yeah. he's just this big hulking menace. And <laughs> he's like the design is so immediately striking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the environment, the, this town that the thing is set in, it's, it's just it, we're so used to having like very you know, we're either in the Star Destroyer or on the Colossus or flying around, but just to have this completely new, you know, widespread in uh, ground environment that we can just explore for two episodes. It's really re- just weirdly refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, because you know we're we're so used to the familiar environments, and you know when we leave the Colossus, we're rarely at a place for very long, and so just being forced to be grounded for as long as we are uh, felt cool. And I, I also I liked all of. There's not a lot of additional characters here, but I did like them. Like obviously, I think Axe is great, but I I really loved Lichi as a character. Like uh-huh. I love how into his like persona as this this uh salesman he was it like just so totally committed to this this facade and then i think he actually i think from what they said i think he is a salesman who took the opportunity to become an informant when he learned north's north's identity right and but i love that like he never breaks i i think because of how exaggerated and like completely committed they had him in this, you know, this kind of a uh, very loud personality. I was actually kind of, you know, surprised at the, I, f- I forget his actual line, but after they're out of frame, you know, and he says, you know, we've got the resistance here. It's like, oh, I thought you were just, you're just a guy trying to sell his goods, but 
Oh, so speaking of salesman, the the other alien guy, uh, he just, just speaks some other language. Um, that the fruits, the fruit vendor that they keep running into, is <laughs> really funny. Yeah, I I like just all the I I always like when we get kind of plugged back into the the larger resistance and what's going on, and so like Norath is investigating like the black market dealings of the first order, and 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 there's um I love that the the um the first order is hiring bounty hunters. You know, to hunt down any any and all re- uh, resistance contacts, um, you know, because you know, they they aren't able to police everything. Uh, but, oh, dude, you you talked you said last episode you talked about how the the fight scenes in this weren't all that great. Oh, we finally got hand to hand combat again. We haven't had this all, you know, for this entire show, and now we're getting like, that really tight, intricate hand to hand combat that I have loved so much throughout Clone Wars and Rebels, and. I just like it. It's so amazing seeing it come back here. Yeah, like when Sonara is like taking on Axe and they're fighting over the you know the balcony and kicking that him over the edge. Like, is amazing. Where has this been? I I wanted I, I wanted it so badly, and it makes me so happy. I'm surprised, you know, that they 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 went as far as they did with with the fight. Like it's not you know like a bunch of. Uh, she just dodged or they man she really missed getting hit there like they're getting thrown into walls she's getting just like kicked across the room thrown out mm-hmm. of the back like there's a real like a genuine brutality to it and it feels like this guy feels dangerous like any minute like it's like fighting a fighting a um a trend ocean in clone wars like yeah you're you the best you could do is is just hold your own and that's just one of the awesome fight scenes in these episodes. And then they go into it. They go to investigate uh, Lychee. CB <laughs> CB just slowly rolling forward, like clacking her pincer and scratching the wall. The shot of her just dragging her claw across the wall was amazing. And then she goes back to the beginning and starts again. <laughs> I was surprised to get as big a laugh from me as it did, but I really like that bit. Uh-huh. And then there's a just the, the character of Norath. I really, really love him because he's he's kind of another Kaz. I love that. And, and, and when he's with Kaz, Kaz kind of gets to be the more experienced, uh, you know, knowledgeable one. Because just because he's had a bit longer, like you get the feeling that this guy is just either you know some civilian or cadet or student that they that they um that the resistance recruited and sent out, and he's maybe like on his first or second mission. And so these two relatively inexperienced young guys together, and like, there's absolutely there's no no citizen that they're both just completely just totally kids in this world, and they're a lot of fun together. Okay, I can walk. Oh, he trips over. No, I can't. I can't walk. <laughs> just they're back and forth. In their dialogue. Obviously, David Diggs is just fantastic. He, I'm sure he um ad libbed a lot of it, but they're just great together. This scene just keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, I like their personalities together a lot. The only thing, and again, this is just like me giving too much weight to nitpicks, but I think the amount of times that something happens and they both scream, it's just... <laughs> that made me chuckle. Or just a little moment like Kaz acts like they're they're quiet, they're like hiding hiding behind something, and Kaz steps up and actually knocks down the thing on Nora's injured leg, and it just squawks. There's just something though to me about that, Ooh, like the slow build screams. Or just like when he sneaks up, like when uh, I think this is the next episode of breakout where um, where he like taps Kaz's shoulders, like ah, don't do that. Sorry, my fault, my fault. <laughs> they're just they're such a perfect pair. But then you know, obviously we talked about that first fight, which is amazing. 
but Matt, moving into the end of this first episode uh, oh of this arc, that like whenever things get, you know, whenever like this last confrontation in the episode with with Axe, that fight did that give you like major Civil War vibes? Um, I didn't, I didn't think Civil War. I was just, but my, my mouth, my, my mouth was agape. I was like, yes, I, I, I rewound it like twice to rewatch it. Um, because like, like with, with uh, Yeager and, uh, Sonara, they're like tag teaming. And then this is just amazing shot. It's like a long, like 10 second shot of them, like tag teaming, fighting him. And the camera is like, is like low angle up against the sky. And there's like lightning across the sky. It's like raining. It's like, where, that was where bit- did this come from? It's amazing. That was very much uh, Steve and Bucky versus Tony and Civil War to me. Oh yeah, because uh, it was like it was just like the taking turns with hits and it really, really, and, like legitimate choreography and everything. Also, like before we actually got to the fight, Hikaru and Sonara are such badasses together. And, like even Kaz able is able to get a couple licks in. Like, but like even before the fight, there's just there's something different about the way this episode feels. Whether it's like the camera, the the sound, there's just it feels by far the most cinematic the show's ever been. Like whenever he goes back to his ship, it's just acts and, and it's raining and you've got the low hum music and he's, he's boarding the, the lighting, the way the lightning is in the background and, and lighting him. It just, it feels like a feel. It just feels cinematic. Yeah. Another really cool shot is when they, they go to the hangar and they're, they're going in to rescue uh, Norath inside, uh, Tagrin's ship and as they're running across the hangar and up the ramp there's just this really low like wide angle tracking shot following. it's like another really cinematic shot that stood out to me both times I've seen it um yeah I don't, I don't know what changed about this episode maybe they just got more money who knows um but it, yeah also um Axe Tagrin's axe this like green electro thing so it's cool so cool looking freaking scary yeah, and then for the the second part of this two part episode uh this is breakout Directed by Brad Rao and written by Stephen Melching. And this ad, X Tagrin delivers Eager, Sonara, and CB into the custody of Commander Pyre and Agent Tierney, who interrogate them about the location of the Colossus and the resistance spies Kaz and Norath. Pyre refuses to pay Tagrin until he captures Kaz and Norath. Following the conflict with stormtroopers and a frightened but unfriendly Geb- uh, Gebdoran merchant who didn't want to get involved in the situation, Kaz comes up with an improvised plan to infiltrate the First Order camp by disguising himself and Norath as stormtroopers. Works every time. <laughs> a lot of stormtrooper disguising going on. Uh, Captain Doza is forced to take the Colossus into hiding after Tagrin and the First Order discover their location. Uh, Kaz and Norath manage to rescue Yeager and Sonara with the help of CB, who has freed herself. After subduing Pyre, Tyranny, and Tagrin, they escape aboard their shuttle. Despite being pursued by Ties, they are rescued by Ace Squadron, uh, who rendezvous with the Colossus for a pickup. Norath invites Kaz to join the Resistance, but he decides to remain with his Colossus friends. This one's really good, too. So I, I like having you know, Kaz and Norath kind of on their own. They, they're the ones who had to come up with a plan for rescue. <laughs> Kidnapping the fruit guy. Um, when, the, when the stormtroopers come in and he's just like looking really quickly <laughs> keeps looking off to the side and then he gets mad when they knock him out and like chases after them with fruit oh back in the previous episode after Kaz trips over his uh, his basket and spills and he's like chucking fruit after him and Kaz grabs him, like okay but I'm keeping this <laughs> and runs off yeah I did like that yeah and just I, I love I love getting into stormtrooper armor <laughs> like what's the plan stormtroopers where no that's the plan what is stormtroopers you're messing with my head aren't you 
there, there's maybe it's just because it's you know it's it was such a memorable part of a new hope but there there is something so like classic about disguising yourself as stormtroopers <laughs> where like they can just reuse this this point in a mission in any show or movie or whatever and i'm just gonna be like ah good times there's something fun about this uh, like when, when the stormtroopers walk past they snap to attention like rookies <laughs> oh also we get torture we get torture again yay yeah I was about to say when this happened, I was like, "Wait a second! This is this isn't supposed to happen in this show." But like again, the the stakes of this episode were really strong. Like where every every scene, you felt what like what is being fought for. Like why? I don't know. Just the, the heaviness of what's going on between uh, them being tortured and and the Colossus having to be you know hidden out in the storm. Also. That pink storm they're hidden in is it visually Ooh, incredible, dude. The lightning that illuminating the uh, the Colossus inside the cloud. It's like, yes, it, it just man. Now I want to see that in a movie or something. Just the the way like because the, the Colossus is always you know we've always talked about how its silhouette has just been really cool, but seeing it in such a like a weird exotic location is super cool. Uh, but yeah, like because you know we've got. They're they're having to hide out there. We don't have that immediate rescue, and we've got we're actually seeing. It's not oh well we're we're gonna torture you and then rescue. It's like no, they're being tortured. We need to rescue them now. But also, we're the Colossus. Pro, like I love the arguments between Adoza and Tora. You know, do we go and rescue them? You know, we have a responsibility to protect the people in the Colossus. Um, you know, just I love that they choose the right thing to do is to actually leave them behind. Because they have the greater responsibility to all the citizens. Yeah. Um, although the final reveal of the, oh the, the the Colossus left, but the Aces stay behind when the the Aces come out to rescue the shuttles. Like it's the so only good. thing I was really wishing, especially like since it it we're starting to identify more and more with the Resistance. I was really hoping they just go full March of the Resistance as they mm. burst through the clouds. I really wish that 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 music showed up here. Yeah. Maybe in the final episode when they're preparing, when they're all when after they decide to fight and they're preparing the Colossus for defense, they should have had uh, March of the Resistance over that montage. Yeah, that's that's one of my complaints for the shows. I, I don't think they they make good enough use of like just classic Star Wars themes and even the original. Like that was, I'm sure that was intentional because they weren't afraid to in Rebels and and Clone Wars. They probably intentionally, well, just like the choice to have no Jedi or, or anything. Right, and I. I don't know. I that's something that I'm not as big on because I mean, you know, solo distance itself a lot from the the bigger like the mythology of of it, but it, I don't know, to me it's the mu- like the music is so attached to specific ideas like like, you know, flying around and not hearing asteroid chase or or you know, seeing this rescue and not hearing march of the resistance or yeah. <laughs> back to the ground with Kaz and um Nora sneaky around like, uh, nothing to see here. Door. Uh, it's malfunctioning. Let's go. Around. Thank you. <laughs> the door opens and Pyre's just standing there and he's done some, uh, this thing's set for stun. Um, and then when CB takes out the guard and, uh, and, uh, Tyranny, uh, like she's being shocked. So she shoots a rappel into the interrogator and electrocutes him. And just the way she like swings from the roof and just like, wrecking balls into tyranny and knocks her across the room i love this droid i was gonna say cb 
you know, I, it took a few episodes for me to really become attached to her because it was, you know, like they they rely on on BB-8 for so long that whenever they kind of make the switch, you don't really feel any discernible change, at least for me mm-hmm. at first. But eventually, she really does like become a, a memorable droid, and I, I think it was the last episode, but. Uh, CB on low power mode is <laughs> so depressing to me. It's like this sick little puppy. Mm. You just hear it panting. Mm. That's the thing, like the, the low hum that, oh man, oh man, we gotta, gotta charge her or something. This is sad. <laughs> when she, she, she's flying the shuttle, she just like rams Axe Tagrin <laughs> and uses the exhaust to blast him against the wall. Uh, yeah, this just the the action is like so much more intricate and fun. Like it's it's usually pretty loose, just people riding and shooting at each other. But like there's a you can tell you put a lot of planning and work into making the action uh, you know function in this episode. And then the the final dogfight, um, you know, as the uh, the aces come in to rescue to, to rescue the shuttle, and then the colossus comes in between the aces and the ties, and the ties like crash into its back. They and they just fly right in and, and jump out again, like. It's just this, it's so tight. It's so well put together. I th- Something this reminded me of is just how much I enjoyed, you know, multi-episode arcs. Mm. Uh, being able to create a conflict with specific characters who are unique to this location, unique to this conflict. I wish we got more of that here because I was not ready to say goodbye to Axe. I'm like, man, you've been the best villain we've had yet. Mm. I kind of wish Nora stayed around too. Like just like adding new characters like them or uh, Mika Gray, like she's a fun, you know, fun, interesting character. I wish they like this is why I wish they had at least you know one more season just to allow these other characters to kind of get their chances to shine. Um, like you could have like an entire episode following Norath, you know, going on some resistance mission or something. Like expand it a little bit. Although I guess that would kind of go against the entire point of this being a ch- uh, a show based on Cheers, where it all takes place you know in a single place. So yeah, I get it. Um, so next episode is Mutiny. This one's directed by Bosco NG and written by Marigreed Scott. Um, so Kraken meets with the Crimson Corsair at a remote location to purchase some old Separatist battle droids. He plans to use them to take over the Colossus from Doza. He, rec- he recruits Niku to help tune up the droids, uh, but doesn't tell them what they're for. After they're repaired, he tosses Niku into a container and begins his revolt. After some fighting, they capture Doza and Yeager, and he's going to throw them out into space, uh, but Niku activates some programming he installed while repairing the droids, and they turn on Craig and force him to surrender. As punishment, Doza banishes the pirates with a stern warning about what will happen to them if they ever return. We get battle droids again, which means uh, Matthew Wood comes back to voice them, and it makes me so happy. It's funny, I, like the whenever I was very first getting into the Clone Wars, and I think I may have, I, I probably said this on our Clone Wars episodes, but I was like, these, you know, you know, they had their funnier moments, like you know, you're welcome in, in episode three. But they're really pushing it here. And by the end of it, I was like, I freaking love Matt Wood as these battle droids are so funny. Like, I don't know. I guess I was just I, I somehow landed in the demographic that they were going for with the humor, which is funny because I th- like I remember walking back back when I was first watching season one all those years ago. Like, Oh, the Paladins, they're just dumb. You know, they try to be it's kitty humor, whatever. I'm too old for this. And now, you know, whatever, like seven, eight seasons, you know, no, no, ten. What are we at? What are we at now? Ten, twelve seasons of Star Wars later. Like, oh my gosh, battle droids, they're so funny, aren't they? Uh, uh, yeah, insane. Uh, and and I, I feel like it, it's just like whenever the 
the pit droids show up in the Mandalorian. I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, I'm always down for this. Yeah. Uh, also, we we like the Crips Corsair. Like, what a cool design. Um, and he's voiced by David Acord, who's the uh, the traitor guy from, from Force yeah. Awakens. Like, that's one of the coolest Star Wars designs, and we only get to see for a few, a few, uh, you know, a few minutes. Going, like, he's the guy in Force Awakens that uh, Finn when. Uh, Maz Kanat tells him, if you go to that ship, they'll trade passage for, you know, work for passage to the Outer Rim. That was his ship. And you can see him there in the, uh, in Maz's cantina. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. But uh, he's, he's cool. I love that he just doesn't put up with any of Kragen's nonsense. Like, Kragen starts bargaining and he just raises his gun. Like, this is the price. You take it. And just battle droids. Like, it's just, th- th- that's cool. Kragen, the, Kragen's plan of, you know, Fixing up old battle droids is pretty fun. Yeah, N- Niku <laughs> with the pirates is fun, where they're like cheering him on as he drinks it. Like, ah, that was revolting. <laughs> <laughs> Niku really grows on me throughout the, the series. And the, the, the final reveal, like, we, we open up where, you know, Doza gives him a job, but then we think he's, you know, he was he was kind of a fool by the pirates. And then they end finding out that Niku, actually, Niku and Doza actually play on this thing the whole time, and he, he put in a fail safe. Like, Okay, you know he's he's not just an idiot. Because at first I was like, ah, you know they're they're manipulating poor gullible Niku, you know this easy easily manipulated guy. And then I'm like, oh, okay, nice. I actually like that. You know, Niku himself himself is a bit more competent than I thought. Um, and then you know, Craig and you know, finally you know making good on all the tension that's been building, trying to take over the Colossus for himself. That's a it's very much a character. Yeah. Um. Although I was surprised at him going to throw a uh, Yeager and Doza out into space, like, okay, and so that's what I've been like. That's what I was hoping that we'd actually see here is like, not just yeah, we're we're mean and we we want better treatment. It's like no, these remember these are ruthless pirates, and so seeing what he was willing to do, uh, I thought really earned all of the all of the tension. Mm-hmm. And we guess you know, Sonara finally gets you to, to once and for all ultimately prove her loyalties by siding with the Colossus against them. And and that last battle sequence is really cool. Mm-hmm. Act, it, it feels like there's a lot of, because it's taking place over different locations, I thought just the staging of it all was really cool. It wasn't just, you know, shot of somebody shooting here, shot of somebody shooting here. It was, it was an actual battle with, with goals and, and things that, you know, kind of had an ebb and flow to it. Yeah. Um, but it's, I love that, you know, it's, it's a, sh- a shipment of, you know, the, the, B- the uh, super battle droids. And then there's just one old B1 in there. Yeah. Commander Niku's here. Um, how, why are incompetent droids so funny, James? I don't know, but it, it's just, it's Star It's so embedded into Star Wars now that I'm like, ah, this gets me. I like it. Yeah. Um, so now we got a security force of, of uh, super battle droids it's on the station. Just the level of confidence he has in these troops. He's Lee, uh, I love this one. I, whenever they revealed the super battle droids, I'm like, oh, okay, that's really cool. And like, I remember there, I, I had just a tinge of disappointment that there was no uh, B1 battle droid. And then whenever he walks out, I'm like, there he is. This is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> At the end, I'm like, Yo, but I'm actually a spy. Why didn't you use me? Because the pirates actually like Niku. But, but I'm a spy! <laughs> Everything I learned about spying was from you. I learned that as long as you act naive and clumsy, <laughs> no one will ever guess your true motivations. It's a, it's a really fun little episode. 
The next episode is uh, episode 15, The New World. This one was directed by Stuart Lee and written by Jennifer Corbett. Uh, and this, the Colossus travels to the uncharted ocean world of Aeos Prime, hoping to find a safe haven. Kaz goes on a scouting expedition with former Imperial pilot Griff Haloran and their droids CB and uh, R5G9. Kaz discovers a ruined village, a First Order TIE fighter pilot's helmet, and an abandoned rebel base. He and the others are captured by the native Aeosians, blue-skinned... Uh, blue-skinned humanoids who ride on winged beasts called the Krakavora. Believing the newcomers to be hostile, the Queen orders her forces to attack the Colossus and to ex execute Kaz and his group. Aeosian warriors attack the Colossus, destroying B-1 and several super battle droids. How dare they? I know, that was a... My, this just is a good got episode. those guys. Exactly, this, this, is, this is a good episode overall, but I was really upset when they killed them. Like, they, you just... You had a golden opportunity for long-running humor for the rest of the season, and you just blew it. Although his death was kind of funny, so. Yeah, but it should have been like a <laughs> kill him in the finale, then. I, I need a little bit more humor from him. Uh, but they destroy him and several super battle droids. Kaz manages to convince the queen of their peaceful intentions by healing a wounded Aeosian. The queen calls for a halt to hostilities. After meeting with Captain Doza, she allows the Colossus to seek sanctuary on her homeworld. Um... I like this one too. Like <laughs> after you get past Castle's curse, it's like all either good to great until the end of the season. Um, uh, one interesting is that Lucy Lawless uh, voices the Aeosian queen, and I, I did. I don't know about you, but did this the the this setting here with you know the, this water planet and the white beaches and this kind of humanoid fish you know kind of fish people? I did it remind you at all of like the opening of Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Uh, not in the moment, but I could definitely see that. I guess it's when I instantly thought when you were going around just this beautiful tropical oh, yeah, setting. Yeah, and kinda, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. But, and I, I really love how they were able to differentiate this water planet from Castellon. Like it, I, I think the su the sunlight is brighter and harsher. Uh, just at the water, like it, it's it's dotted with islands, and it just there's more kind of texture to it. It's, it's so beautiful. Just the the beautiful blue water, the white sand beaches, and the the purple rock. Like, it's just such a gorgeous looking episode. Yeah, the production design of this, just the art direction and everything of this planet is really really cool. And like, just even even their caves, like their civilization, the the creature design, like of the Asia the Asians, I think they're really really cool mm -hmm. looking. I like the armor and everything. It reminds me of something from like Legend of Zelda. I was thinking uh, Abe Sapien. Oh yeah. That too, yeah. Like it, it just it's immediately convincing of like a you know another species with their own culture and things and and like you said they they somehow make another water planet look distinct and there is a sense of of history and like intentional design here that separates it. So, like I think maybe my favorite thing about the episode was just these new locations were really cool. These new creatures were really cool. Uh, the conflict was interesting. Like everything was just nice to look at, and I never had to like suffer through anything annoying to enjoy the visuals because it's also you know a pretty decent story and who doesn't love you know flying creatures that you're know, doing battle on giant flying things it looks so cool um this, this is the, the first time we actually get to spend any time with griff uh the old the old imperial pilot i like him a lot i, I realized that i wish we spend more time with him after this i was like ah you're kind of a cool character he's <laughs> just so grumpy and surly uh, I like that his astromech droid. His astromech droid head is an imperial probe droid. Yeah, that's really cool to me. And I've always thought his design is cool. That just you know, like the the sleeveless shirt with the the imperial, or the, the you know the stormtrooper helmet. It's just 
he's a he's a cool character to look at. I, I like how they, they kind of tap into the legacy of the old Imperial Rebellion co- uh, conflict by f- they find the old rebel base and the Aeosians find uh, um, Griff's helmet, which is the old Imperial helmet. So they assume he's first order, so they can execute them. Like that was that was that was a cool touch there. I thought it is weird. like you know there's there's not a whole lot that happens here. Just thinking about like just walking through plot points. But I like that it, it didn't feel like it was light on substance, mm-hmm. you know? I like, like with the uh, the Asians, they attack the Colossus, but like you're still tr- you're trying to keep these from escalating. Then the droids come out and just bungle <laughs> it all up, and they all all die rather spectacularly. Which, again, is such a disappointment. When, it, like, cause when they come out, that's whenever I thought, like, because I didn't, didn't really give their involvement a second's thought at the end of the last episode. But whenever they showed up immediately in this one, I'm like, oh, so like just security, like having battle droids as just local security is going to be a thing now. That's great. And then immediately my my hopes are dashed. Um, yeah, so they, they, you know, they find a new a new home. And at the end of this episode, it's like, you know, this is this is where the Colossus is going to be now. And Kaz is, is kind of reconsidering going to rejoin the Resistance because, you know, they, they, might, they probably don't need him anymore. Uh, so next episode is No Place Safe. It's directed by Brad Rowan, written by Gavin Hignite. Um, so now that the Colossus is safe on Aos Prime, Cass decides to, re- to leave and rejoin the Resistance. But as he leaves the planet, he stumbles across a First Order probe, which sends their location back to Pyre and Tyranny before he can destroy it. He returns to warn the Colossus, but the First Order arrives before they can leave. The Aces engage with the help of the Aeosians, and after some desperate fighting, the Colossus jumps away, and Kaz decides to save the Colossus because they clearly still need him. It was it was really, honestly, kind of heartbreaking in retrospect, the way this episode opens, and everything is so peaceful. You know, the Colossus found a new home. They're showing the, you know, the, the, uh, the queen around the market. And it, it, it's like it's not quite cast a lot. Like you can tell like the sunlight's a lot harsher, but it just it feels like we're home again. You know, the, the market's open, the the root, the uh the hangers, you know, the um the, the roof doors are all open, sunlight streaming in, like they 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 tricked us. They, they made everyone made it feel like everyone was safe and they actually they go through all the the goodbyes between Kaz and Eager. Like if they if he had actually left the Colossus and the rest of the season was with the resistance, it would it like it, it would have felt right. Like the way the way they actually play through all the different goodbyes, it's kind of touching. <laughs> Poor like Niku's on his, on his knees weeping and um your cast has a really nice conversation with Doza and they give he gives a year like the awkward handshake slash man hug. Um it's, it's it's really sweet. It is nice. I think the only thing I wish is that I, I think about um he has that line, you know, you're not the you're not the same awkward kid who first showed up. And Kaz has definitely grown to be more competent, but it's it's still season two, and it, it would be like, you know, fin- like saying goodbye to Ezra at the end of season two of, of Rebels, where you know he's he's definitely not where he's not where he's going to end. And they they have to have at least one haircut and costume change. Exactly, that growth has not happened until you get the full you know redesign. But you know, I I think of the end of of Rebels, like that that moment where he kind of brings up the idea of another plan and then as they're discussing it just slips out and goes on this last mission i'm like man thinking of this like aladdin ripoff kid from season one mm-hmm. to now who he was by the end of season four was to me like i i loved Ka- or i loved uh, ezra in that so th- i think the only thing that kept this from really 
meaning a whole bunch of me because I, I agree like I actually did like it and I was like okay I do this is this feels like we're winding down and I have kind of grown to like a lot of these characters it, it's no rebels that's for sure yeah and and again I even in like to me the best two episodes are the ones with with axe well I think the the last two are also pretty great uh, but even those just had like constant tripping and like I just I don't know <laughs> I I wish that they they spent more time really maturing Kaz, but like I said they, he's still he is a better you know he's a better soldier a better well not really spy but we we have that we have that really sweet moment uh, I think it's at the beginning of the final episode where uh, him and Niku are um repairing something and they have the kind of the callback where he asks him to hand the tool and he actually hands him the right one this time. <laughs> So, I liked it, but I also thought that that was almost that was a little indicative of my issue with his growth, which is, you know, as an he 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 knows the right tool now. You know, that's this is how far he's come. <laughs> yeah, um, when he he flies out, and he has a pr- pretty epic p- battle with the uh, those probe droids are really well armed. Yeah, and I I love the. I don't think we saw any first order probe droids in the in the trilogy, but I love like the the, the continuity and design between you know Imperial and First Order mm-hmm. ones, and they just they keep the sound the exact same. That's we, always we saw them, uh, but back uh, there was that episode with Poe and Kaz going to investigate that abandoned village, and they fought a probe droid. You know? Kids, oh it's got that's kids. right. Oh yeah, I completely forgot about that. Um, but with that, with that being said, like. Uh, the, the enormous, massive library of iconic Star Wars sounds. For some reason, the the probe droid sound ranks weirdly high for me. I just realized that Poe has no appearances in season two. Yeah. And now I am sad. I was. I really thought he was going to show up in the finale. I I was kind of surprised. But you know, like as disappointing as it is, I also like that they they were confident enough in their own cast of characters. You know. Yeah. I like like uh, Phasma barely shows up you know kylo shows up once or twice hux shows up like once or twice but overall like they're not they're not really a major presence and and you know they i think they did that you know in a really smart way where you know we we uh give him bb8 at first and then we kind of have the switcheroo with with cb and uh you know pose shows up enough time to you know you give us just a universally liked character to help attach us to new characters and they you know phasma's there as the as the main presence and before you know it phasma's never really around and we've got tyranny and pyre and i i do like that they used established characters and new characters in tandem at first and kind of slowly uh faded out the established characters and and let the newer ones come into their own but but i I want poe i well listen i always want like any any time we we can just throw poe in there i'm always going to be happy but yeah so there's a big fight and battle and there's tie fighters and just the the fight and atmosphere is really cool the the uh the shot of the star destroyer coming out of the cloud against the blue sky was so gorgeous um this giant this fish people on giant you know flying fish things blowing up tie fighters it's awesome um, there's, 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 again, I think the cinematography keeps on improving as they go. There's this one really cool shot where like hype is being pursued by a tie, and he like flies around and down the Colossus towards the yes. ocean. Um, just like this really epic long shot that uh, you know, felt very kind of fresh and new. There's been like a real maturity to it, and just like the way they set up shots and 
uh, and move the camera. Like even even little things like whenever he's flying by, like the way the camera pans and reveals the probe droid felt very like cinematic. It didn't just feel like and then we move the frame and it's kind of there. It's it felt like a an actual kind of a, a cool reveal shot. It it just continually looks better. And we're really starting to kind of test. Uh, Tam's loyalties, where she's actually she's actually out fighting them in a Tie Fighter. <laughs> when uh, Kaz leads the attack on the Star Destroyer, like Ego would never be that reckless. That can only be Kaz. Yeah, and she you know, she has to you know, she chooses to take out the rocket instead of taking out him. Yeah, and so you know they they fight, and <laughs> once again the Colossus jumps out just in the nick of time. <laughs> There's a lot of that, yeah. and Tam gets Tam gets a promotion. Just sends old Rucklin over the edge. <laughs> He's the worst. Such a little baby. Well, no, that was that, that's next episode, I think. After he destroys the the uh, the transport is when he has his tantrum. Oh, that's right, that's right. The next episode is uh, episode seventeen, building the resistance. This one was directed by Bosco and G and written by Jennifer Corbett. Uh, resistance commander Vanessa Doza reunites with her family on the Colossus, with the approval of her husband Captain Doza. She recruits her daughter Tora, Kaz, and Hype as well for a mission to evacuate resist- several resistance recruits on Dantooine. The Aces join Venice's Jade Squadron, which includes Norath Kez, uh, North Kev, sorry, and Kaz's new Republic comrade, Hugh Sion. Uh, Jade Squadron and the Aces wipe out a TIE patrol, but draw the attention of Commander Pyre and Agent Tierney, who dispatch First Order forces, including a conflicted Tam and a bloodthirsty Ruckling, <laughs> uh, to intercept the rendezvous. Jade Squadron manages to rendezvous with the shuttles, but are attacked by the First Order TIEs, Despite shooting down uh, many of them, including Lieutenant Galix, Rucklin manages to shoot down one of the shuttles. Tam hesitantly tries to shoot Kaz's ship, but is thwarted by Sion, although she survives. Jade Squadron and the two remaining shuttles manage to escape the Colossus. Kaz, Tora, and Hype are distraught by the loss of the shuttle, but Venisa tells them not to give up on hope. Captain Doza allows the Resistance recruits to stay, committing the station to the Resistance. Tam is promoted to squadron leader by Tyranny, but earns the enmity of a jealous Rucklin, who believes that the position should belong to him. Tam, on the other hand, begins to have doubts over a decision of joining the First Order. The thing I liked about this one is th- there's a book called uh, Resistance Reborn that takes place shortly after um, The Last Jedi, in between The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, and it's essentially about the Resistance kind of re- essentially rebuilding themselves uh, and you know, re- bringing in all the you know, old, you know new and old recruits and tr- you know, trying to you know, get together for the final stand in Rise of Skywalker, and this and the book is kind of a series of different subplots with different characters going to different places. You know, trying to steal ships, trying to recruit you know recruit old people, um, and so this episode kind of felt like one of those chapters of that book of you know resistance people just going to different locations and trying to trying to scrape together something to rebuild after the disaster in the Last Jedi. Yeah, so that, that part really, uh, I really enjoyed that bit, um, and I, I just like that they're kind of bringing the resistance. They're slowly working the resistance into these last couple seasons, couple episodes you know, yeah. with Norath, and now Jade Squadron is you know is based on the Colossus. Yeah, the, the way this episode finally ends with 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 uh, a new home and no place safe. They were tr- they they were still trying to run, still trying to hide it out, and now Dose is finally ready to commit the Colossus to the fight and, and to join the resistance. Yeah, I this is one of my favorite episodes as well. You're right. Pretty pretty much everything after Kaz's curse. It's it's weird not having the amount of issues I usually do with the show. I'm just like this this was a good one. And this was a good one. And uh-huh. this was a good one. 
it was it was great when I was watching it week to week because the first half was the first half of the se- season was kind of weak, and then it was like one great episode after another, and it just kept going all the way to the end. I think one of my favorite things about this one is finally coming to the like the edge with Tam, and I love that it this show didn't it wasn't just she she finally felt bad for long enough that she joined. I love that it you know it went far enough that she actually had to watch a transport of of civilians crash to to shake her and i can't believe they did that either like i thought you know i i was wondering how they were going to create a sense of of loss you know cuz i'm like they they're not really going they're not going to kill anybody but you know maybe it'll be too close and they'll be they'll try to say you know we're we can't keep cutting it this close. We've got to, you know, just some way to try to create a sense of, of, of threat. But whenever Rucklin, this awful freaking Rucklin turd head he is, <laughs> like the fact that they actually down one of the transports was especially shocking to me. And I, I, I don't know. I just really like that it took something like that for for Tam to see and be like, oh my goodness, we just we we are killing people. Yeah, and for Tam, like. Like going back to her perspective from season one, like the resistance, they are to her, they are just terrorists. And the first order, you know, the first order is law and order. It's you know, it's peace. You know, it, it takes her being you know exposed firsthand, you know, to their cruelties to finally bring her around. And man, Rucklin, like I know we talk about <laughs> him the all worst, the time. Isn't he? We love talking about how much he sucks, and but it, it is crazy to think you know he was just this lion, little deceitful, awful person, and in the the first season but he wasn't like like it's just this guy's a he's a real jerk you know i i don't like him and now he's, he's shooting down civilian ships and he's just like and then getting you know pissy that he didn't get a, a promotion for it i'm like good grief you are truly an awful human the line you the aces are colluding with resistance my day just got a whole lot better <laughs> he's he really is bloodthirsty yeah uh one thing i do wish they did a, to make that that transport hit a little harder is that if they had shots inside of the cockpit of the transport so it, like we saw the pilots we see the people inside of it and then and then have to watch them die i don't think disney xt was ready to go that far for these kids who are gonna be watching saturday morning uh maybe not but they could do it you could do it <laughs> you gotta grow up <laughs> but i also just like the battle itself even outside of like the fact that they went there at the end it's also just like a an actual battle with people dying We've had a lot of like close calls and and being able to escape, you know, like whenever we're on the ground, we're pretty much exclusively using uh, we're every everything's always set to stun, but here, like you know, they're just they're we're blowing each other's ships up and we're seeing explosions and crashes and I'm like okay, like this is this is a war, like this is an actual war and it's being presented as such now and Gaelic gets killed. Yeah, like it's things are people are really dying. Which is a weird thing to get excited about. They had Tam kind of freaking out because like half her squadron was killed. And like she's calling a retreat, and although <laughs> apparently every single other Tie Fighter is set to explode, you know, at the slightest hit, but uh, Tam's Tie can can, you know, can just be disabled. Yeah, she gets the Darth Vader treatment of just you know kind of spinning out a little bit. Yeah. All right, so we're moving into the uh, the final two part finale, which is called The Escape. It's directed by Stuart Lee and Brad Rao and written by Brandon Alman. Um, so the First Order returns to Eos Prime to p- bombard the planet for assisting the Colossus. 
This is the last straw for Tam, who contacts Kaz to request help in escaping. Kaz and Yeager meet her on Castellan, but the First Order follows her and catches their shuttle in a tractor beam. Kaz, Yeager, and CB are able to avoid detection and run amok on the Star, Star Destroyer, causing all manner of mayhem. Uh, meanwhile, Tierney and Pyre discover the location of the Colossus from Rockland, that jerk, uh, <laughs> and go to destroy it. Uh, Kaz is able to warn the Colossus, but the citizens are done running and decide to stand and fight. When the First Order arrives, they are attacked by the Aces and Jade Squadron. CB turns off the Star Destroyer's shields, and they destroy the engines, which blows up the ship. Uh, Kaz, Yeager, and Tam escape back to the Colossus on a stolen shuttle, and finally reunited as a family, they all go to Aunt Z's for a celebratory drink. So, we're at the end of Resistance. Um, Brooklyn is a psychopath. <laughs> I, I, I just so desperately wish we had a fi- final shot of him like waking up in the corridor and then consumed by fire. Me too. Because at first, after after the, the season finished, I was like, wait, what, what happened to him again? And I had to like go back and read through the synopsis because I, I forgot where we left yeah, him. Tam punches him out. That's right. And I was like, oh, which, man. Which is a pretty I needed satisfying a, point to end on. But I needed a reaction shot from him. As he's just death. consumed in fire. <laughs> but like, mm. oh, man, just to see. Especially, you know, we, we are able to befriend the uh, the Aotians. And that's what it's right. Aotians. Yeah. Uh, you know, and like, it's a cool race. And they're, you know, the friend of the rebellion and now friend of the resistance. And him just like being so gleeful at the side of their destruction. It's like, you awful and uh, we, we we finally we get an appearance from uh, kylo ren unfortunately not voiced by adam driver but he's a uh, voiced by matthew wood you know the, the the lucasfilm sound designer and voice of all the droids uh he's he's it's not a very great impression uh but yeah, it gets the job done i i wish you know he's he's in the the unfortunate scenario where the helmet hasn't been rebuilt yet because i think that voice with the modulation would have been fine like it's you know it's super easy to do a kylo ren under the mask voice but hmm. you just got to do straight adam driver for this one and it did come out amazing but at least we got to see him that said it's a great scene uh where he you know grabs tyranny and pyre and forces them to point their guns at each other such like you know, oh no we understand supreme leader do you now do you understand it's like just being evil supreme leader and it's great yeah i i mean i didn't think they were gonna have each other you know like have one shoot the other but even still just holding on that that scene lasts a while uh-huh. you know we spend a long time just fighting pulling the blasters out and then pointing them at each other it, it drags out for a bit and and you know speaking of you know my issue with music they do bring back Kyla's theme for this scene, which I obviously I'm mm. really into that. Uh, I did notice them this time through. I did notice the music a lot. Um, there, there's, there was even um, I don't, I'm not sure it was this one. I think it might be the previous episode where there was. It sounded like this kind of almost reworked March. It wasn't March of the Resistance, but it had that that same feel to it. Kind of like combining with with the Resistance theme was pretty cool. Like I, I, the music did stand out this last episode. Last, last couple episodes um and the visuals of the bombardment of aos was really crazy uh, just yeah. the, the cutting between shots of the ground and the star destroyers coming out of the sky to to tam and ruckland's view from the window i love that visual seeing seeing the arrival from the star destroyers point of view and then seeing them from the ground was really cool yeah and like the, the, it, was, it was just those two perspectives like and uh, the visual of the the, the 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 lasers hitting the ground and just the fire from outside the atmosphere is just really cool looking. 
Yeah, so then the Tam is finally done with this, and she <laughs> reprograms the mouse droid. So apparently, the mouse droids they go around uh, up updating the systems or something. We finally we finally get a canon explanation for what they do. I mean, there was probably a book back in like 1978, but <laughs> at least now it's in the movies. But then we we go back to Castellan, and we you know, the uh, the racing ring is kind of like lopsided and covered in barnacles. It's like a it may be nostalgic, you know, for a simpler time in the show. It's weird that we're only a, like one more season in, and we're going back. And I am like, oh yeah, we used to race, and this is where home was. I'm like, wait a second, that wasn't even that long ago. How did yeah. they do that? Um, and the lighting in this the scene here is really gorgeous. Like it's like magic hour. It's all into this gold and beautiful shadows. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> so Tam takes her training group to Castellan, which. I feel like is that the best way she could, the best she could do to get away, um, and like <laughs> Rucklin's in the tie with her. Oh, uh, piece of garbage. And he, then he like he sees that it is oh it's Cassie Eager everyone fire <laughs> she has to knock him out. Uh, but then she shoots down the other ties which is a little cold blooded but hey I'm okay with them. They've they've put killing they've made killing stormtroopers needlessly uncomfortable in this one knowing that it's just a bunch of like brainwashed conditioned people i just know. imagine rucklin under every helmet and i'm cool <laughs> well yeah if it was rucklin under every helmet man i'd join the resistance and go to town but especially like with the rise of skywalker learning you know because we had it with finn who's able to kind of like go against this programming but when you have just more and more moments of them being able to to leave you know you really humanize them and now every time they're killed i'm like oh who was that was that just some poor kidnapped kid no nah, it's ruckland oh well it's totally ruckland <laughs> uh but yeah i like the reunion where like Cass is like oh he's overjoyed he hugs her but eager still kind of angry and they basically restart the whole argument before Cass stops them and He's like, yeah, I can't leave Rockland. Like, yeah, yes, you can. You can totally leave Rockland. I can He'll happily leave. In fact, just hold his head under there for just a little bit. <laughs> and they don't even tie him up. And he's he's able to sneak around and find the location of the Colossus. It's like, this kid gets too many chances. One blaster hole in the head is all I ask. Yeah, fix so many things. Um, that is mainly just a lot of running around in the inside the ship, uh, you know, sabotaging and doing whatnot and being chased and shooting and all that good stuff. And they're shooting, they're shooting stormtroopers and it's not set to stun. Like <laughs> they're just killing them. Finally. Kill them all. You're really bloodthirsty this episode. Well, so I, it's, it's a weird thing to keep bringing up, but it, like, this is, this is the thing. Like, I mean, it's, it's what really separates the first season of clone wars and the first season of rebels. And, and, you know, a lot of resistance with the exception of these last episodes is, you, you I I think you need like death for to create like stakes in in like action mm-hmm. series whether it's movies or the shows or or whatever and you know you can only see so many like close calls and and you know getting hit with stuns before you're just like I I don't know I'm like I'm having a good time but there's not really you know it's it's whatever so whenever you actually like you're seeing transport ships shot down and you're seeing the good guys you know just plow through stormtroopers it it's not just me being bloodthirsty it's, well you know maybe a little bit but it also it really does create like going into the last battle I feel like the stakes there feel a lot more real because this season has really amped up 
the cost of of these each battle you know and yeah what well, one thing i don't entirely buy is the switch uh from the, res- the of the uh, colossus citizens from like no run away run away to let's fight yeah that was really th- that turnaround was real quick like the idea is seeing you know Kaz's selflessness and calling them and saying you know leave us behind and go i suppose we turns the tide but even then like they're i'm like sure i can, I can see auntie coming around because she's awesome but the others yeah they're they're just a bunch of little cutthroats and scum and villainy. So that's another reason why you know I, I feel like finales like this would work better with more than just the two seasons because you know we've seen a lot, but the average citizen on the Colossus, like, how much have they really seen of Kaz? And from their perspective, how different is he from like the first, like the guy who stumbled into the cantina and started all the brawls and everything? Like, it wasn't Kaz; it was Yeager. They came back for Yeager. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I'd come back from you. But yeah, like I don't entirely buy the uh, the turn. But after the turn, when they're all getting ready, and <laughs> when they, they lure the stormtroopers into the halls and take them out, like Opie Pitt uses his his uh, vibro mop to trip them, and uh, on Z's, <laughs> I loved seeing him again. Yeah, on Z is like wielding this giant mini gun, which is awesome. I I, I kind of wish Kaz actually killed Pyre. Like a final shot of Pyre like coming out of the smoke with the, with the electro axe towards Kaz, um, and then I think Kaz just like knocks him out eventually. But uh, could you? I'm getting bloodthirsty. Like I could, I could use more violence. <laughs> See, uh, but Pyre's yeah, you know, Pyre was was a really good villain. Like in t- in both, I think in both seasons, yeah, like we never see his face. Oh yeah. It's a cool design, though. But Tyranny gets it even worse, where Kylo appears and the Tyranny asks for reinforcements, like, why? To, you know, to further your failure. Like, he force chokes her, and either either she died right then and there, or she died 20 seconds later when the ship blew up. But uh, that's a rather violent... Either way, she's That's dead. a very violent end uh, for this show. So my blood my bloodlust was satiated right there. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it, it, this show ends very small. Um, we, you know, they come back. Everyone's, you know, everyone. Like it's so cheesy, but I had the biggest smile on my face as Tam comes back and everyone comes and hugs her. And Nico comes and they're kind of going through, you know, their old home and back to Aunt Z's and everyone's group hugs and toast to Team Colossus and it's so sweet. It's sweet. It is nice. Uh, I I really like the way that she's brought back, and I I buy. You know, I don't know, I don't know how well the citizen, like how much the citizens of the Colossus would have warmly welcomed. I think her. they're just happy that they blew up a star destroyer. You know, that they're finally yeah free. But I, I definitely, I, I like, you know, just how willing the the lead cast were in in welcoming her back. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think the season did a good job of portraying her as just somebody young and unaware of just the greater scope of the conflict. So. By the time she like sees what's going on, I remember feeling really sympathetic for her during these last two episodes of just having to come to terms with what you've joined and realizing that like you're just you're terrified now because of what you've willingly aligned yourself to, you know, and her her having to come back with her head down and just begging to be to be welcomed back. I thought was actually really effective. Yeah. So that's how it ends. Um, and I feel like this would have been a really good season finale. I, I don't know how you feel, but I feel it's a little lacking as a series finale because it's so f- small in scope. And while, sure, that is in keeping with the you know the original intent and idea of the show, I think I, I kind of think the show grew beyond that in this second season. Um, 
you know, sure, it's always based on the Colossus, but also we're moving into the Resistance, you know. So I was to say, Season 3 really could have been an exploration of, like, the Resistance as an actual faction. Yeah, so I, I, I like it. And it's a solid ending, you know, to Tam's journey. But it, it, it is kind of unsatisfying, you know, when you think about the potential scope that Season 2 was leading towards, to come back so small at the end. I, I really wish, like, even just like a, like a two-minute epilogue where that they the Colossus you know arrives into into like the Resistance fleet and like here we are we're gonna fight something pointing back to the larger world rather than just focusing on the characters. Yeah, because I think for me the as much as I really did enjoy this last episode, I, the space battle is amazing. I didn't say anything about that, but like oh yeah, the actual ship to ship combat is super great. Oh dude, very Return of the Jedi to me. See, seeing when they when CB takes on the shield. And the Colossus cannons open fire, and they actually do damage the Star Destroyer. It gave me so many warm fuzzies because the entire thing, like anytime a Star Destroyer comes, oh no, we're doomed. Your shields at ten percent. We gotta get out of here. And to finally able to see the Colossus hit back and actually, you know, make a punch. Yeah, it was so. There good. were a lot of there were a lot of cool visions, like the the boarding craft where they like the the ships would kind of they'd go through the the shielding around the. Uh, uh, the Colossus, and then they'd open up. Like all of that was really cool. Uh, so I, I really liked the episode like a lot, actually. But I did have that same kind of that that feeling in the end. You know, we we talked about the ending of Clone Wars season seven, and that is completely satisfying in how unsatisfying it is because of just how thematically relevant ending it like that is. You know, that's that's how it should end. Whereas here, I I feel like I. I asked a question you really don't want the audience asking at the end of your show, which was, and I don't mean this super harshly, but it, I just felt like, what what was the point, I guess? Like, I, I ended up enjoying this last, like, the second half of this season quite a bit more than the bulk of the show. And even whenever I didn't like the show, there's always something that I enjoyed about it. So it wasn't as if I disliked my time with it. You know, I had a good time. I really liked the ending. But I, I was thinking, like, why, why this story? You know, like, I know you wanted something smaller, you know, re- more removed from, you know, the, the bigger stuff going on. But it still, it just felt like, I, and I don't like the word unnecessary piece of, of canon, because just the idea of what's necessary and what's necessary and what isn't is just a conversation I hate. But, but yeah, it's just, I, I felt like we didn't really build to anything that feels series finale worthy and yeah, I don't know I I was surprised that this was you know if it was indeed planned just for the two seasons it does surprise me that this is the ending that they wanted to build to and I feel like there are certain threats like, like Kaz's father like remember the, he had a really uh, tenuous yeah that really goes him. nowhere and like there's the fear that oh they might have died on on a uh, Hosnian Prime, then we later in there survived. But I, I I do feel like they planned for more, but they you know they were given one final season. Um so like yeah, I, I do agree that it just it feels a little just small for what it is. And I, like going in, I, I kind of what I what I would have wanted was like another half season, like a season three that was like a fourteen or twelve episode, kind of the way we had with um Clone Wars or uh even Rebels. And just make it about the, the the Colossus being integrated into the Resistance. Also, 
I, with the beautiful way that TV shows like Clone Wars is able to you know fill all these little holes and problems with the prequels, you could have this like fix some of the problems with Rise of Skywalker. Yep. Season two came out next to Rise of Skywalker, so you could have you know the hindsight of the reaction to Rise of Skywalker to kind of just plug in a lot of holes and like essentially you could have season three would be building up to that shot in the rise of skywalker where the thousand ships come out of hyperspace yep like season three could be the behind the scenes of everything that got us to that moment and like oh it'd be so cool because we know the colossus is there like in the novelization um you know kaz like calls in you know signs in when he he arrived there so like we know they were there um so i think that would have been the, the, a really great opportunity for this show to fill in those gaps and to just, you know, to, to, I think more, a bit, a bit more securely end all the stuff that was going on because this, this ending, this, this ending feels much more like a, a season finale rather than a series finale. So that, if that's what I would have done, if I, you know, if it was my choice uh, for a season three, just build up to that beautiful moment in Rise of Skywalker and actually give it a real, a, you know, even more dramatic punch rather than just being a little confusing. Yeah. All right. So um, before we kind of move into the, the reception now, what, what were some of your favorite episodes of this season? So for me, I have a quick salvage run, rendezvous point, station to station, and the two episode, two part are missing agent and breakout. Those are my favorites. And then an honorable mention to the new world and no safe place, just because it, uh, AOS prime is so beautiful. Uh, honestly, mine, like, it, it was everything after Kaz's Curse. Like, I, I really liked, uh, the second episode. And, you know, I, it wasn't that I hated the, uh, the first half of the season. There were several episodes that were, you know, I liked in the same way that I liked season one. You know, this is a, a fun time. But I think whenever it finds a, it, whenever it finds its momentum with that first episode after, I also think other episodes benefit from that as well because they're getting to write off of that. And there is the tension that existed prior. It doesn't even have to be mentioned, but it just kind of exists because it happened previously. And so whenever you just get a string of good episodes, like they're all elevated because they're just happening sequentially. So this whole second half to me feels as a whole, like it's, It'd be hard to. I, I think my favorites would be the final two and and the the two parter with Axe would be my my overall favorites, but really I, I just all of all of the from eleven and on. Yeah. Um. So moving into kind of the reception and legacy. So like as far as like critical reception, like the series was pretty well received. You know, got these decent ratings. You know, decent uh reviews, but at least among like the adult and teenage online fandom, it kind of came and went without, with barely a blip. Like I, I really don't know all that many people who watch, who watch this show. Like I know the guys over at home on radio, they watched it and they reviewed it as it went, but everyone else, like they just didn't watch it because they thought it looked too kitty or they watched a couple episodes of season one and fell off. But like, can you name all that many people who actually watch this show? No. It's I don't know anybody like I, I don't know anyone outside of us and like a couple of people from the the uh, outer rim who who watched it. I'm sure like there's other pod, Star Wars podcasts I know who have, but it's you know I'm a I'm in several Star Wars groups and I just I never see it brought up even to bash it like it's it's just 
like it's forgotten in general. And maybe not even forgotten. I don't think enough people watched it to forget it. So the the thing is like I, I don't I don't people obviously watched it. They made they made a second season. They put you know, they increased the budget for a second season. So people watched it. But from I think just the people who watched it were, you know, ten years old and under for the most part. So yeah. kind of like speaking of this like right now, its legacy is pretty much non existent. I think in ten years we're going to know whether or not it was actually you know, well well liked among yeah. this target audience. Yeah, I I just I don't know. I I have doubts that we're going to end up seeing it brought up a lot because I think you know we we saw something similar in the Clone Wars where you know the first seasons were very much geared towards kids and you you hear the stories of of all of the people who grew up on Clone Wars and just love it completely. And you know we we saw the same with the prequels, you know, we just had like a decade of unequivocal, unopposed hatred of, of the prequels. And then whenever the kids who loved it were old enough to really have a voice online, mm-hmm. you just saw this massive uh, spike in, in prequel love on the internet. But I I don't know how much of that we'll see with this. Just because there's, you know, like a lot of... The, I, know, I know more kids who watch The Mandalorian than watch Resistance. Like I know a lot of like a lot of kid like kids in this target audience range like six year olds who love baby yoda who were dressed like who are going to be mandalorian for halloween and everything and so with this happening in the middle of the sequel trilogy and the mandalorian you know season two coming as well and all the games like i i feel like like and, and this was an issue i had and why why they felt the need to go so kitty for for a lot of this show is because these kids they're, they're already going out. Like, you're seeing five-year-olds go see these movies in the theaters. You're seeing five-year-olds watch The Mandalorian with their parents. Like, they'll watch... They don't, they don't need this. They'll happily watch the stuff that we'll love as well. And so I feel like it's, it's come out, among other things, that the target audience range are also watching as well. That, you know, I, I just don't know how much this is going to end up sticking out to that generation considering they're... I mean, they're going to remember Baby Yoda and, and their childhood. Yeah, I guess we'll definitely see. I feel like I, I feel like it didn't go long enough to really to for kids to truly grow up with. It. I feel like it's kind of be like one of those just kind of things that is discovered every now and like, hey, we slept like this. This is a show we you'll have those articles like a year or two from now. Like you remember Resistance? It was actually, it was actually pretty good kind of thing. Where every now and then someone's going to rediscover it. Um, or you know people who grow up like hey yeah that was that was actually a pretty good show and so yeah I, I don't I don't it's ne- obviously it's never go- it was never as good as Clone Wars or Rebels so it's never going to be remembered with as much as much fondness but I I do hope it it, it at least gets a little bit of recognition because it, it, like I I always enjoyed it I, you know I watch every morning before work when it would come out I would watch it and it was just wonderful to have you know a weekly Star Wars show with fun characters and just you know, not interesting ideas and, and, and a cool, a, a completely unique new setting that we'd never seen before in, in Star Wars. So I, I think, you know, it, 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 it never, I don't think it ever quite lived up to its potential, but I, I, you know, I'm very glad it existed. I think it would have, you know, with, with the momentum it had, I do think if it went even just for one more season, because, you know, Rebels was only four, uh, you know, it, it, it never went on, you know, that Clone Wars almost doubled it. So 
but but rebels has a very established fan base and is 100 like absolutely remembered among fans you know you see a lot of rebels appreciation posts so i think if if season if they did do a season and were they were able to more directly connect it to the the numbered trilogy itself and carry this kind of quality i, I think we'd see a lot more people talking about it but you know they they ended it really as to me they they hit their stride yep yeah, so it was a good time um can't wait till the next show <laughs> <laughs> hopefully rebels prequel i mean sequel yeah we better get that and i want a time jump as soon as we end this they're gonna announce something they better all right um so that was our review of star wars resistance season two i hope you enjoyed it if you did I ple- again i'd ask you to please head to itunes and leave us a rating review uh if you want to like us on facebook where there's franchise the podcast you can follow us on twitter and instagram as at franchised pod and you can find all our other, all our other episodes at franchisefatiguepodcast.com. And where can you put follow you, James? Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd, and there is JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, and you can also follow the both of us along with some other friends uh, over at The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group on Facebook. Uh, we we just had an announcement of a new Star Wars game, which will be uh, which will feature a canon story. Uh, and like we you know we're all anticipating uh, season two of The Mandalorian, so. There's definitely plenty to be excited for, so join us over there if you're if you enjoyed this and you want more discussion around the Star Wars in general from a positive viewpoint. Uh, I'm also on Letterboxd. You can find me at uh, Gabriel Green. You can find me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green, and I also have a YouTube channel called uh, Green Radio One, where I put out these uh, various uh, movie video uh, movie based videos and, mu- and music videos. I've just now put out a trailer mashup of. Uh, of the uh, 2009 JJ's 2009 Star Trek set to uh, the first solo Star Wars story teaser, uh, which was a lot of fun to make. So Star Wars connection. It was really cool too. I like that one a lot. Oh, thanks. Uh, so next week we have one more uh, franchise to kind of catch up on. And then we're finally free. Uh, so we, we got to finish up the men in black series. We've had men in black international come out. Remember that was a movie that existed. Probably not. Sometimes I, I forget. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we got to finish up the men in black series and then uh, we're free. I feel like we, this has been a long time. Like I feel, It's been a while since we finished the MCU. We better, we got to enjoy it. Enjoy all of our time until October. Whenever we got to jump back to star Wars TV. And then the, you know, the, November we got the MCU again and uh, it'll be fun but uh, I'm looking forward to starting a new series Uh, but yeah next week is Men in Black International yay I guess (laughs) if anything I'm ready to have an opinion at all on it I've seen it and I don't really have an opinion on it (laughs) (laughs) well I'm excited so until next week uh, we will see you uh, in Europe I think that's where it's said I barely remember Hmm, looking forward to it I guess (laughs) 